This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 29, Tax Advantages with Bank on Yourself. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Is there somebody at the IRS, an IRS agent maybe, maybe somebody working in the back office just putting your files uh, away dutifully over the years? Is there someone maybe at the IRS that you're particularly fond of or have special attention for? Uh, Is there someone at the IRS uh, that you believe and have decided will be the primary beneficiary of your life's work? Well, you know, please understand that if you have two or more beneficiaries on your IRA or 401k, we have some interesting ideas to share with you here. Uh, But before I do, let me jump right in. Again, my name is Mark Willis, one of your hosts today, and with me in the studio is Katrina Willis. Hello there. And Holly Bach. Hello. So if you've got more than one beneficiary on your IRA or 401k, let's just take a look. Let's just do the math on this. The primary beneficiary will be the government. Let's do some math here. So if you've got $200,000 in an IRA, the tax rate is 40%. Now, please understand that's 30%, 33% to the federal government, 7% on average to states. So 40% overall. 40% of 200,000 is 80,000 bucks. And if you have two children, uh, that means they'll get the split, the difference of whatever's left after Uncle Sam takes his part. So 200,000 minus Uncle Sham's share is $120,000. Divide that by two children and that's $60,000 to each child. So the IRS got 80,000 bucks and each of your children got only $60,000. Did you understand that? Are you, are you okay with that? <laughs> and most importantly, are you gonna leave it like that? Uh, so most people have 401ks, IRAs with you know, multiple children as their beneficiaries. And uh, it's just sort of a, a, a light bulb moment when they sort of realize that, yeah, wow, the government is going to take, if I pass away, the government's going to take the lion's share of my life savings. So we think we've come ac- across a pretty interesting financial strategy that doesn't only solve the problem I just mentioned, but actually puts the tax reform that was recently passed in your pocket to your advantage. And for this episode, we're going to look at five specific strategies that helps you do that. So uh, Katrina, share a bit more about that. Yeah, as we mentioned over and over in our last episode, after 2025, most of the new tax law changes will be reversed or eliminated. So what does that mean? Are taxes likely to go up or down in 2025? What do you think? I can't see them going down any further. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've already been dragging into the muck of deficits for decades now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing is for sure, we know there will be changes and it's likely that taxes will go up. So actually, in the current plan, it is for taxes to go up in 2025. So many of the exemptions and tax brackets will either expire or creep up to more expensive brackets. Listen to our last episode, episode 28, for more details. So how does the bank on yourself strategy fit into the tax reform picture? Here are the tax advantages of bank on yourself. Number one, tax-free retirement savings withdrawals. So unlike required minimum distributions from qualified plans, you can take distributions from a bank-on-yourself designed policy 
tax-free. Rock and roll. The silence is stunning. Yeah, let's just end <laughs> the episode right there. Yeah. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> it also takes the anxiety and guesswork out of what the tax rate will be in retirement. So you don't have to wonder, you know, 50, 60, 70 years from now, or if you're closer, 20, 30 years from now, how much are those taxes going to eat into your nest egg and what you've saved up? With Bank on Yourself, you know you can predict exactly what's going to be there when you retire. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I would always really thought about uh, one of the benefits of Bank on Yourself is we're not having to watch the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 every day and every year. How are we doing on our nest egg? You know, if our money is in Bank on Yourself, it's not riding the roller coaster of the stock market, but you really kind of have to keep an eye on Congress and the State of the Union address if your money is taxable every year. Well, what is Congress going to do to me this year? What's Congress going to do to us next year? Nobody knows, right? Uh, so yeah, there's a, this example we use of two retired brothers, Bob and Bill, who are both in a 35% tax bracket, and each has an average tax rate of 28%. So that's their effective tax rate. So let's say Bob takes $100,000 a year in retirement income from his Bank on Yourself plan with no taxes due. So Bill, let's say Bill, his brother, takes $100,000 per year in retirement income from a tax-deferred plan, such as a 401k or IRA. However, because Bill has to pay income tax on his income uh, from that 401k or IRA, he ends up with only $72,000 per year to spend. The rest, 28 grand, goes to the government. If Bill wants an after-tax income that equals Bob's, he'll have to withdraw more, about 139,000 bucks, and then again, send 28% of it to IRS. Uh, Only then will Bill have the equivalent $100,000 to call his own. So paying your taxes up front while you know what they're going to be and then having no taxes due on your gains really gets rid of a lot of the guesswork. It avoids a bunch bunch of unwelcome surprises. Uh, So if you're basing your retirement security on variables that you can't predict or control, um, you know, take a look at what that might do to your financial life, your emotional life, your familial life. I mean, most Americans are really doing things that they're just being told to do, maybe without even giving much thought to it. Government-sponsored tax-deferred plans have two key unknowns. What will your retirement account be worth on the day you plan to tap into it? Uh, And what are tax rates going to be in retirement? Those two alone, not to mention fees and other things, should give us enough pause to think, all right, should we really be putting all of our money into something that we don't have any predictability in or control over, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how does it work then? You know, how are you able to access, you know, your money in these bank on yourself plans with, you know, no taxes on it? How are you able to access the money tax-free? Well, with these bank on yourself type policies, there are two main ways that your policy is going to grow. The first is through a, you know, guaranteed preset annual cash value increase that you'll get each and every year, no matter what. Uh, Then in addition to that, the second way can grow is through dividends, which dividends aren't guaranteed, uh, but they have been paid by the companies that we work with for, you know, every year for at least the last 100 years. So through the Great Depression, through the Great Recession, I mean, all of it, they've not only been able to come through, you know, in in great standing, but then also been profitable during those times, which just shows phenomenal financial strength. And when it comes to how these plans are taxed, it's really taxed more like a Roth type plan uh, for those of you that are familiar with how, um, you know, the Roth IRA works. And so essentially it's just that you pay your taxes before you make your contribution. So you are making, you know, they're post-tax dollars. You pay the taxes on the front end so that you 
know what your tax rate is, like mm, you said, Mark. Yeah. And then even right now, you know, kind of living in those uh, potentially lowest tax brackets while we're being our lifetime. You know, what mm-hmm. better time to pay taxes than now? when we know what it's going to be. Then down the road, you can pull out both your principal and your gains tax-free if you follow you know, a couple guidelines of the best way to access your cash value. And Holly, when you say you pay your taxes now, uh, how do you actually do that? Like, are, is the, I mean, how do you pay your taxes now on life insurance contributions and premiums? I mean, are they sending you a bill for those or how does that actually work? No, it's just your regular income tax. You okay. know? So it's like yeah. you get your paycheck from your employer. They already made the deduction for your taxes. You know, if you earn $2,000, but then, um, you know, 1500 1700 is actually what hit your bank account, then you would just simply fund the plan with whatever portion of that money that you wanted to. So the taxes have already been paid kind of in, um, you know, in receiving it as income. Factoring in the first place. it in. Just like you've already paid your taxes on your groceries or your light bill or auto, you know, car loan or whatever else you're doing already. Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then um, with that, though, you know, how are you able to actually take it all out tax free? Well, under current tax law, uh, any dividend that you leave inside your policy isn't taxable. So even those dividends that you're receiving are going to be able to kind of be, quote unquote, you know, reinvested each and every year and growing, you know, tax deferred for you throughout that whole time. You're not going to be getting a 1099 uh, from your you know, life insurance policy each and every year like you would from a savings account for the growth that you receive. So that's all growing, kind of cooking, tax deferred, compounding without any without any issues. And then um, you're even allowed to take out of your policy, um, you know, dividends that uh, you want to take out all the way up until you reach your cost basis. Um, when cost basis is just the technical terminology for, you know, how much money you've put in. So if over your lifetime you have put in $100,000 into a life insurance contract, at any given point, you can take withdrawals from your plan up to $100,000 without any tax consequences. Mm-hmm. So even if your you know, cash value is, you know, let's say two hundred and fifty dollars or $300,000, you can tap into all the way up to $100,000, no problems, you know, because that's all the way up to your cost basis. Um, then what you would do at that point, once you've exceeded your cost basis, is you just simply switch to borrowing against your cash value uh, with a policy loan, which is also received tax-free. So between the withdrawals and the loans, you're able to access you know the full amount of your cash value without any tax consequences. That's or so penalties. cool. That's so cool. And and I've I've found that most of these insurance companies that we typically deal with have factors in place to make those switches automatic. So mm-hmm. even though that may sound a little foreign to most of our listeners or even maybe brand new or compl- sound complicated, mm-hmm. kind of like our smartphones or our tablets, you know, all, there's a lot of complication and engineering that goes into the things. But really, whenever we use them as consumers, they just sort of work for us. You know, mm-hmm. the camera just sort of works. I just push the button and it works. Sort of like that with these policies. Most of these will do an automatic withdrawal up to your cost basis and then switch over to loans automatically as long as that's what you've asked them to do for you. Yeah, because it probably sounds a little a little tricky or, or mm-hmm. something. You know, who's yeah. tracking that? Who's making sure I don't take out too much? Mm-hmm. And like you just said, I mean, it's all it's all in the insurance company. They're keeping track of that for you. Cool. So yeah, there is something that we want to make sure to note here, and that is one little catch or gotcha you can kind of keep your eye out for is if you over withdraw slash over loan your policy. If, in other words, if your loan exceeds your cash value, the policy could lapse. And that's a spot where you could end up owing a lot of taxes if your policy just totally falls apart on itself, on the gains. If there are gains in the policy at the time, it, it lapses. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways we can maybe you know um, 
avoid that or just prepare for that uh, eventuality? Um, and, uh, you know, what would we do possibly if, uh, you know, um, we find yourself in that situation, anybody? Don't lapse your policy. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and I mean, and this is something that I've heard. You know, I've had people that I've, I've worked with and I've spoken with that have brought this up because they'll have read some article online somewhere that said, you know, whole life insurance is, you know, not a great investment. And, you know, and also it's creating these huge tax liabilities and these huge tax burdens on people in their later years. And they're saying right. people are getting smacked with these huge tax bills because of a life insurance contract. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're kind of coming to me in a panic, like, what, what, you know, what's going to happen? I'm, am I going to get smacked with a huge tax bill? And, you know, quite frankly, like, not as long as you know what you're doing, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the people that that happens to, it's because they're not working with um, not only the right companies, but they're also not working with the right advisor right. that knows what to be looking for, knows what the red flags look like, um, and can make sure that that never ends up being mm-hmm. your reality. A C- couple of great examples. Some of the things that I know that you've helped with in, in certain cases, and I've helped with certain clients in certain cases, if we've really truly maxed out the loans and just totally just destroyed this policy, stopped paying premiums into it, ripped out all the money that we possibly could. First of all, how cool is that that we can do all that, not pay for something, and it's still there for us and for our families for With years no and years. With no penalties. With no penalties. No taxes. We pulled out all the money we could to buy our cars or pay off some debts, and it's still there as a benefit to our family, and our cash is still sitting there, what little is left, right? That's so cool. Uh, I've got certain clients, unfortunately, who for one reason or another, disability, job loss, haven't paid for their policies in years, and they're still in effect for them. If they should pass tomorrow or yesterday, their family would get a giant chunk of change today, even though they hadn't paid for it for years. I'm just sorry, but I can't find any kind of other financial instrument that can do all that. But even if we get into that spot where it's super, you know, just dire straits and we're about to have a big tax liability, a couple of very quickly some things you can do is, you know, let the policy pay for the loan interest so that the policy doesn't lapse on itself. Or possibly, you know, maybe we convert this over to a term insurance policy uh, and just let the term be for as long as it lasts, 10, 20 years. So just a few very quick things you can keep your eye out for. Again, don't want to go down that rabbit hole here. We can always have another episode, but just some things to think about there, guys. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, you know, tax advantages of how these bank on yourself plans work. But, you know, what if those tax laws change? Yeah. I mean, they could change the tax law. Nothing is sure, uh, except that there's going to be taxes. Uh, (laughs) But they've also could do all the same tax changes for retirement plans, including Roth accounts. Uh, But the tax benefits of a bank on yourself plan are really an extra. I kind of see them as a bonus. They're really not, even if they took away all the tax benefits, I'd be super pumped about my bank on yourself policies. Uh, that's still something that I'd be able to see myself putting money into, right? So that's the first. We need to keep rolling here. But the second tax advantage of bank on yourself is reducing the taxes you'll pay on Social Security benefits. A lot of people don't really realize this, but the more money you make after you retire and start pulling Social Security, the more they're going to pull back from you, the more they'll take from you. In fact, for many couples who make over forty-four grand a year annually, uh, that actually So any kind of earned income, 401k income, Walmart greeter income, whatever your income is, uh, if you make more than $44,000 as a couple, 85% of your Social Security benefits will be taxable. And that income that you take from a bank on yourself policy is not taxable. It's not included in the income totals or what they call provisional income that the IRS uses uh, to determine how much they should tax your Social Security. I just think it's uh, an awesome benefit. Most people haven't really thought through or thought about. Uh, You know, most people really are complaining uh, about how the government is forcing them to take money out of their 
tax-deferred accounts through something called a required minimum distribution. Anybody who turns 70 and a half must start taking money from their qualified plans. Otherwise, they'll get slapped with a 50, 50% penalty. That's one of the many strings attached to these government-sponsored plans. A lot of folks say that, you know, hey, they can't afford to, basically the government's saying, hey, they can't afford to wait any longer to start collecting these taxes. Uh, and the other effect of RMDs have for many retirees is that it causes them to have to pay higher taxes on their Social Security benefits. Bank on yourself has none of these problems. Yeah. What about number three, Holly? Yes. So the tax advantage number three is that um, a bank on yourself plan does not affect how you qualify for a federal a student aid. So you can end up qualifying for more financial aid potentially than you could have gotten otherwise. And so we actually hit on this a little bit harder in uh, just a couple episodes ago in our last uh, two episodes ago. Um, but essentially, it's just that when you have this money sitting inside a bank on your self policy, this cash value isn't counted against you uh, for, you know, when you're filling out the FAFSA forms, when you're filling out the profile forms, you're not having to list it as an asset of your family. And so as a result, it's kind of this, you know, hidden asset that isn't going to make it so that you'll receive a lower financial aid package as a result of it. And tax advantage number four is the tax benefits for business owners using the bank on yourself strategy. And we're seeing in our practice, um, business owners and professionals are increasingly using the bank on yourself strategy to become their own source of financing for business vehicles, to buy equipment, to buy office buildings, and more. And when you finance business expenses this way, you can get tax deductions for interest and depreciation. And of course, you can recapture that interest, right? That you've you know, otherwise be paying to banks, mm-hmm. credit cards, mm-hmm. payday loans, <laughs> yes. sharks uh, that are there to take over your business. Yes. And you can pay your taxes with policy loans too. And that's true for individuals and businesses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we talk some more about that in the ne- next episode? That's a great topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the bank on yourself tax advantage number five is leave a larger financial legacy. Yeah. And so that just has to do with the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, these bank on yourself plans that we talk about, no matter how much we might focus on the cash value, no matter how much we might focus on the living benefits, you know, it is still a life insurance policy at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. And so there's still going to be that death benefit that's going to be in effect, uh, not only on day one, as soon as you start the plan, but then also, you know, however many years down the road until, you know, the time that you pass away. And so with that, the way that the the death benefit is, I mean, the the way it's calculated is your death benefit's always going to be greater than the amount of money that you've paid into it, no matter, you know, how much that is. Your death benefit will always be greater. Hmm. And so what that means is that you can leave a larger legacy to your family than you would otherwise be able to, Um, you know, regardless of where you would have put that money. If you would have put it in a checking or a savings account, if it had been, you know, I mean, heck, it would have been losing value in there. But then even if you were to have it invested, I mean, all that your family could ever get is just how much you had invested and put into it. And maybe, you know, how much it may or may not have grown to. Um, But, you know, with the life insurance contract, it's guaranteed that they're going to get more than you could have ever saved. Spoke with a client earlier this week who uh, was recently given an an inherited IRA for about $100,000. And that was from his uh, parent who had recently passed away. Now, that is an inherited IRA, and as he takes that money out, he has to take it out either on a five-year schedule or over his lifetime, and that'll be taxed on his income for the rest of his life. So 100000 bucks sounds like a lot, but don't forget, Uncle Sam is the primary, if he had two 
actually in this case he does have uh, a sibling. So you know the primary beneficiary is going to be Uncle Sam. Unfortunately, a hundred thousand bucks looks suspiciously like seventy after you take taxes out and so forth. Now, if I was to have put a hundred thousand dollars into a life insurance policy, right, a hundred thousand dollars into a life insurance policy, depending on my age. Let's say I was in my late sixties when I started the policy. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it would be a lot more than $100,000, right? Mm -hmm. The death benefit would immediately be greater than my contribution. Easily. Could be maybe $200,000, you know, depending on age and health, right? So, and by the way, that $200,000 would be left, what, tax? Tax Tax-free. Free. free. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll. And no probate court. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, private. Yeah, exactly right. So say some more about that. Basically, with these other inheritance items, you know, it's public record and you have to work pretty hard on the estate closing it down and working through the system. But with a life insurance death benefit that comes through, it's probate free. It doesn't go through the courts. It's a personal payment to the beneficiary. Um, and so it's it's not a part of that number, which is awesome. Yeah. So if I had somebody after me or even proposed that they uh, were owed some money by me and I passed away, it is. You go online, you can find anybody's will public record, whether you wrote a will or not, intestate law says it's on the public record online or down at the courthouse in your county. Mm-hmm. And and creditors and predator, predators can find <laughs> you and find your estate and come after your kids or grandkids or whoever you're trying to leave that money to if it was in, if it went through probate. And Katrina, you're bringing up a great point there. It's all private. Yeah. Well, and even your own, your own creditors, you know, so maybe not the creditors of the deceased, but even your own, you know, if they're, if they're looking at through those records or they have, you know, system that's, you know, generating information to them about, you know, you know, Susie oh, Smith or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then it says, oh, hey, look at on this. Susie Smith just inherited this money from this inherited IRA that's on the public record. Then they could see that be like, oh, well, I can see you have plenty of money now, mm-hmm. you know, to, to wow. make good on those. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, public for the deceased. It's also public for the receiving or receiver mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Not, not just uh, the IRS uh, who's a beneficiary that we didn't have in our will, but also maybe, you know, these credit cards or other guys that might be coming after us. So mm-hmm. you get a death benefit. That's a huge amount of money, way more than you could save or accumulate through your individual means. And it's drama free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's part of the cool thing about this. I mean, guys, the IRS is only 105 years young. So, <laughs> you know, life insurance existed before this and it was uh, grandfathered into the IRS tax code. Okay. When they, uh, when they put the IRS code together, they basically left a lot of the benefits for orphans and widows back in the day, uh, basically unchanged. And that has happened time and time again, as we've gone through tax reform after tax reform, including the most recent, most recent one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So, guys, we've got more to cover, but we're out of time today. So, thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.